a school teacher who has just finished uh, teaching a, a year and he's gotten close to a group of students and now they're moving on. And uh, today is uh, very definitely a bittersweet day. I got a phone call uh, last Saturday from uh, a, a number I did not recognize. And I, I uh, hello, and I'm ready to hang up because I figured it was a telemarketer. And uh, the voice on the other end says, hello, coach. And I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. And uh, it was a, a young man that, that uh, uh, I taught United States history to and also coached him in baseball. And he wanted to talk about the no-hitter he, he pitched for me and also his love for history. And he said, and that's your fault. And I, I appreciated that because, because after, what, it's been 20 years since we've seen the guy, um, maybe longer, uh, to know that, he, that, that we had an impact and to, and to hear that. I trust that what we've been able to do here in this place is to be an encouragement and a help to you in the transition. But now you're moving forward. And uh, I, I am both uh, excited and, uh, and uh, a little bit, uh, feel, feel a little bit uh, sad today. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to be uh, 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 looking forward to hearing some good reports uh, from the church and, and trusting that this, uh, this uh, new pastor uh, will be a, a man that will be able to lead this church and continue the, the growth and continue the uh, ministry here uh, in this place. As you, uh, as I have told you before, I was born not too far from here, over in Superior. I was born at a very early age. Um, <laughs> I was born in the hospital because I wanted to be near my mother. Um, but I, I was uh, when I, when they brought me home from the hospital, they brought me home to the church, to the parsonage, to the, which actually at that time was the basement of the church, and. Uh, uh, I've been involved uh, in the ministry literally all my life. And uh, uh, my dad left uh, Superior at, when I was about 18 months old. Uh, we, uh, uh, he was an evangelist for a time. Then when I started school, he uh, became a pastor in Douglas. He ministered there for, for a couple of years, uh, left uh, under difficult circumstances, uh, difficulties in the church. Uh, we went through uh, several years of very difficult times. Uh, eventually, my dad started a church. Uh, again, some very difficult times. Uh, we moved in the middle of my junior year to Sedona, and uh, dad left there uh, under difficult circumstances uh, and, and went through some very difficult times. I, I'm, and I'm saying that this morning just to tell you that when I began to talk about getting into the ministry, my dad sat down with me one day and said, Now, son... If there is anything else that you can do, by all means, do it. And uh, that was very good advice. And I have given that to all three of my sons. And I never will forget the day when my second son came to me and said, Dad, I really don't think God's calling me to preach. I said, good. I just ask you to serve the Lord. And uh, my younger two sons are both involved very, very deeply in their churches, but they're not in the ministry in any way. Of course, you know Rob uh, is. And Rob, uh, Rob has, it will probably, if, if, if old uh, Buck Snort ever comes to him and says, I'm going to get in the ministry, he'll probably tell him the same thing I told him. Uh, if there's anything else that you can do, 
by all means do it. I'm going to preach today as if I were preaching to your new pastor. And uh, you're going to say, well, why would you do that? He's not here. Well, for two reasons. First of all, the scripture kind of demands it. And secondly, I want you to hear what I would say to, to a new pastor. As you know, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy this year. And uh, we've, uh, 2 Timothy is Paul's last will and testament. The last uh, letter that he wrote, uh, wrote it to Timothy. Uh, Paul was, was no more than uh, weeks, if no, perhaps even days, uh, from his execution, uh, from his home-going. Uh, home and he was, he was uh, passing on the torch to Timothy. And uh, we've, we've dealt with a lot of things here. Uh, today, uh, in, in, our, in this chapter, we're going to be dealing with some things that, that uh, uh, I, I hope would uh, uh, will help us to understand what we're, what we're up against. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure uh, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power, Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, <clears throat> always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men, of, uh, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, uh, as was that of those two men. Oftentimes we see this phrase, last days, and we, we get a little confused because uh, we don't think of Paul's letter to Timothy as being in the last days. But we have to keep in mind that that was the last days just as much as today is. When Paul wrote to Thessalonica, he wrote to them because they had confusion about the last days. They were uh, struggling under the Difficulties. Some of their some of their uh, people had had uh, had died, and and where where's the second coming? You know, what, these are the last days. Why why hasn't it happened? And Paul had to explain to them that it was it was going to happen, but it just hadn't happened yet. I can imagine when the when the uh, when the early Christians fled from Jerusalem, and they they fled to. Uh, uh, Antioch and other places because of the persecution that was there. They certainly felt that they were in the last days, and they were, but they, but, but they were still here. <laughs> it's interesting that they fled from Jerusalem because of the persecution, but it wasn't very long before Titus of Rome went and destroyed Jerusalem. You suppose that a lot of people had, had the idea, well, that's for sure the last days of Jerusalem is gone. And I'm certain that all the martyrs of the church had, had uh, feelings of, well, these are the last days. I know my grandfather uh, was absolutely certain that, that we lived in the last days. And, and bless his heart, although he was not one to set a date, 
he all he also at the same time just couldn't see how we could get any farther than 1972. I say all that to, to say that that indeed these are the last days, but there's nothing new. This catalog of sins that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy about was a catalog of sins that was available or was was evident then, and it is one that is evident today. We still live under these same situations. It's always it's always difficult to deal with these catalogs of sins because it's a long list. What happens if we try to deal with all this? We're gonna be here all day, right? And uh, and uh, and so what do we do? We we often end up just picking up on picking up picking on our pet grievances, those things that. Everybody else does, but we don't, okay? Uh, bottom line is we'll probably never experience all of these at one time, but there will all, all of these will be present at some time. And we're not going to go into these things other than to say this. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be uh, wickedness. Uh, sometimes we... we, we, we Hear people talk about, oh, things are so much worse now than they ever have been before. And I'm certain that God laughs at that because, because <laughs> if things were worse now than they've ever been before, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he would have to apologize to other situations where he brought judgment. And so we're, we're not going to go into those things other than to say that that list stands by itself. Now, I'm about to get in trouble. I'm about to get into some real trouble. Uh, but the text demands that I deal with an issue that, that uh, I don't want to deal with. Our text says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. King James uses the term silly women. And uh, I, I, I got to give a disclaimer here before I go too far with this, all right, because, because I don't want to get in trouble when, when the service is over, all right? All right I, I don't. I want to say some things here, and I mean this from, from the very depths of my heart. When we say that behind every successful man is a woman, that is a true statement. And I'm going to suggest to you behind every successful church, there are godly women who are, are faithful in carrying out the things that they, uh, that they are supposed to carry out. Efficient women are, are vital to business. Uh, so oftentimes, men get the credit and women do the work. And I'm not trying to to be patronizing, it's just, it's, it, there's just a, a truth there. I know that uh, working for the Department of Corrections, that uh, so oftentimes the, the, uh, the wardens and the deputy wardens and so forth get all the credit, but there's an AA3 that the uh, associated administrative assistant that, uh, that does the work, and, and the, the, uh, the warden of the deputy warden just signs off on it. 
Uh, I can't imagine the day, and y'all realize that there was a day when secretaries were male, okay? That, the, the idea of female secretaries is, is I can't imagine that being efficient. <laughs> I, I really can't. And I, and I think probably men got the idea, you know, businessmen got the idea, hey, we'd do a lot better if, 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 we, had, if we had women to do this job because they, they're better at it, okay? I, I'm saying this to say that, that uh, godly women are vital to the, to the church. They're prayer warriors. They are uplifters. They're detailers, and there are things that a church cannot do, uh, cannot accomplish without the role of, of, of godly women. And I say that because I, I do not want to be brutal. I do not want to be mean. But at the same time, a woman out of her role is a nightmare. And here, the Apostle Paul warns Timothy, watch out for the lady uh, who laden with sin, led away of divers' lusts, someone who cannot make practical application of the truth. Because just as a godly woman is, is absolutely imperative to the ongoing uh, testimony of the gospel of Christ, a woman outside of her role is going to be uh, 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 the devastation that she can create is, is beyond... Uh, is beyond our imagination. We need to be careful. If I were speaking to, to, uh, to your new pastor, I would say these words. Praise God for godly women. But watch out for silly women. The Paul says, not only women, there, there's going to be men, Janice and Jambres, and they're going to cause trouble because they're on the inside. They know the scriptures. Not only do they know the scriptures, but they know Bibleese. You know what I'm talking about? All, all the buzzwords that we use. Uh, and, but they will exhibit all the catalog of sins that we have in our, in our scripture, and they'll do great damage. The truth is that when we, we come to a situation like this, we, we need to understand as we look around us. All of us would like to think that we are all here for the right purposes, for the right reasons, and everybody's here to serve the Lord, to, to glorify the God, and so on and so forth. We have very strict membership uh, uh, requirements because we want to make sure that everybody here is, is uh, on the same page. We as Baptists, Hold a one of our distinctives is that we hold to a regenerate church membership, meaning that a person needs to be a believer before they become a member, not become a member, and then hopefully they'll become they'll they'll become regenerate. And that's the way it ought to be, but unfortunately, that's not always the way it is. And the damage to to a church is rarely from the outside. The damage to a church is done on the inside. And I would suggest to you that as Paul wrote, wrote this to, to Timothy, he was writing some things that were yeah, that, not a lot of fun, okay? And, and, and I think that it would be easy for Timothy to get discouraged, 
throw up his hands and say, well, what's the point? But verse 9 says, but they'll not get very far. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have seen some situations where, from my perspective, they got pretty far. Okay? I've seen some situations where people have done damage that has, from the human perspective, been catastrophic. From a human perspective, it has just been horrible. And yet we need to understand that from God's perspective, these people are limited in what they can do, and God is going to take care of his own. They're going to be limited. Now, the, I want to take a, a chase a little rabbit here uh, for a moment and suggest to you something that will be both an, uh, a warning and an encouragement. But congregational church government is the most vulnerable to what we're dealing with here today. These people can accomplish more of their ungodly designs in congregational government than any other kind. Papal or Episcopal church government is almost impervious to people doing negatively and positively, okay? What happens in those situations when, when positive things attempt to be, to be done? They don't get very far because the, the, the hierarchy makes sure that it doesn't. But on the, other, the, uh, on the other hand, when they are right, they're protected. Presbyterianism is greatly insulated. Oh, it's not as much as, as the, uh, as the uh, hierarchical, but, but it's still uh, greatly ins insulated. The seeker-sensitive church does well because they're accountable to the wrong people, okay? They, they're not accountable to God. They're accountable to the, wrong, to, to the ungodly. So when the ungodly come in and want ungodly things, they'll do ungodly things to appease them. The mega church has created a situation where they have very little contact with people. They... They have very, there's no loyalty, there's no community, there's no accountability. The whole situation is just an entertainment. People come, they get all charged up, they're ready to take on hell with a garden hose, and they go home, and they never have any part of, of anything after that. I'm going to tell you something today. As many a times as a pastor, I wished for one of these because when you're congregational, you're exposed. When you're congregational, you're transparent. And when you're congregational, you're accountable. And all three of these things create uh, uh, situations. Because on the one hand, they raise the positive question. What's true leadership? What is standing for the truth? And what is biblical? But they also raise the negative questions. What is just human error? What is a character flaw? What is a misunderstanding? What's pastoral tyranny? As we go through situations, we find that oftentimes the, the uh, I'd like to say everything is just all the lines are drawn. They're absolute. There's, there's no question, but, but, but it's, that's not the case. As a pastor comes into the church, he's going to be 
He's going to bring with him a personality. He's going to bring with him a background. He's going to bring with him some cultural things. He's from Texas. He's going to be different from Arizona. Texans are different. Okay? If you're not a Texan, you don't understand what I'm saying. But he's going to, he's going to bring certain things. And the difficulty that we're going to have is we're going to be far more apt to criticize him for the cultural and personality differences than for the biblical and moral issues. Because it's human nature. A very dear friend of mine posted a meme, a little little sermon clip the other day, from a pastor whose doctrinal positions are borderline heresy, and I'm being very kind, okay? Borderline heresy, no matter where you come from uh, theologically. His moral failings have been chronicled uh, by many different... uh, Many different uh, places and, and people, including his own family. And yet, because this man was a is a was a he was an entertainer. Boy, could he could he entertain from the pulpit? And could he could he uh, was he able to build a crowd? Oh boy, he could do that. He's his message are still being put online and my friend posted this and I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking why and I think probably because we are more apt to criticize over human errors than over biblical error we need to be careful if we're going to be critical May it be for biblical reasons and not for personal reasons. You see, in the beginning, we find the battles are the same today. We cannot rule out bad people. Battles are often bloody, but they're necessary. One of the things that you'll find is when you go through trouble, when you get to the other side, you'll find out that that was of God and it was absolutely necessary for my character development, my growth. But then Paul talks about uh, the, the other side, thing, things being, uh, you, however, have followed my teaching, conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to be at Antioch and Iconium and Lystria, which, which persecutions I endured yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing uh, from whom you learned it, and how from a child, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul here says, no doctrine, know the word of God. 
There's a great tyranny in our world that I call the tyranny of ignorance. Many of the problems in a church develop directly from the fact that we don't know what we're talking about. The difficulty is, is we don't mind talking about things when we don't know what we're talking about. I've often said that, that um, childbirth is a, is a wonderful thing. If you men were there when your first, when your first child was born, uh, as I was there when my, our first child was born, it was an incredible moment in time. There were three people in the room, and suddenly there was four. And it was just like a local church. The one who knew the least was making the most noise. <laughs> the tyranny of ignorance. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I would suggest to you those who do not, who do not study the word of God are doomed to create all kinds of problems. Paul admonished Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Learn doctrine. And then he said, learn my manner of life. Some things are better caught than taught. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I think there's a very important lesson to be learned here. There are people we learn from. As a young man, I, I found myself gravitating towards certain people when I felt they had something I wanted. When I went to, uh, I spent a couple summers at a camp in New York when I was, uh, when I was in college, and, and uh, there was a fellow that, that was there. He was, he was in his uh, 60s, gray-headed, short, fat, ugly, and anything but what you would think of as the dynamic youth leader. And yet I've never seen anybody who could handle a, a room full of teenagers better than that man in my entire life. Robbie Robertson was, was, uh, was incredible. And I made up my mind, I'm going to find out what that guy's got. And I followed him around for two years and bugged the fire out of him. He'd go play golf, I'd go play golf. He played basketball, I played basketball. I'm the only guy that ever beat him in horse. But I wanted to learn the manner of life. I was learning, I was going to college, I was learning the doctrine, but I wanted to get something. And then his purpose. Paul said, stay focused. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Staying focused, learning the focus of a godly man. And then faith. Paul says, learn my faith, trusting in the providence of God. Romans 8.28, Romans 8, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Long-suffering, learning, that the, learning to, to separate 
between action and reward. Maturity is the, the, the uh, amount of time that we can wait between action and reward. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul said, Timothy, learn my charity. Love God. Love people. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. These are the people who were persecuting the Apostle Paul. These are people that were causing him trouble. These are people that were absolutely a thorn in his side every place he went. And yet he said, I love them. Patience. Ministry demands that we give God time to work. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And then Paul says, persecutions. Understanding that persecution is oftentimes the means of sanctification. 1 Peter 2.19 says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Paul said, remember my afflictions, being thankful to God for his work in my life. First chapter of, of Timothy, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says to Timothy, you're going to experience the same. You're going to experience the persecution. You're going to experience the, the afflictions. You're going to experience all these things. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is lousy marketing. <laughs> Am I correct? I mean, <laughs> that's not how you get it done. If we want to do, we, we want to present the best side. We want to present the shiny side. We want to present all the positive. Paul is not appealing to Timothy's flesh. What he is saying is counterintuitive to the natural man. And what is he saying? If you can do anything else, by all means, do it. Timothy, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. If you're going to go forward, you're going to advance upon your knees. And you're going to know your weapon. All scripture is breathed out of God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. We can look at this as an intellectual truth. We can read our confession. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his 
will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners and diversified manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same wholly unto writing which makes the holy scriptures to be most necessary those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people being now completed. That's the intellectual truth. But I'm going to suggest to you, my friends, that the word of God is more than just an intellectual truth. It's a practical reality. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's quick and powerful. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and the discerning of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Indeed, we're told in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 19, verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119, 41 says, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Psalm 119, 49 and 50 says, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Paul would say to Timothy, Men will not remember this day very long. At the doggondest thing happened to me yesterday. The natives came to my office. They were having a, 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 a ceremony. And a new young native uh, came in, and I was trying to befriend him. And, and I told him, it's a true statement, that, that, uh, that I... When I was nine years old, delivered newspapers to Chief Cochise's grandson. Now, most of the time when I say that, that kind of, you know, natives, they kind of light up. Oh, wow. That's, that's. This kid looked at me and said, who's that? What? <laughs> who's that? It just reminds you. Everybody's going to forget all, all this someday, am I right? Paul says, all scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Here's a part of the ministry we don't like to talk about. Reproof, correction. We don't like to talk about it because it's personal. But we have to sometimes say, here's the word of God and this is how what you're doing or what you're believing is not right. We do it in our churches. We have to do it in our homes. What happens in the home when we're not constantly teaching what's right and wrong? If we're not reproving and correcting all kinds of problems. 
And then instruction in righteousness. We preach the word of God. The word of God. If I can do anything else, by all means do it. My father wrote, like a compass to a a captain of a ship upon a sea, Life alike, like a lifetime to a swimmer is this book to you and me. When temptations cross your pathway and when doubts and fears assail, you will find this book of comfort as you tread the narrow trail. Not a day nor week nor lifetime will you gain this knowledge all, but each day of prayerful study will protect you from a fall. You will find this book a treasure, for with it none can compare. So until the Savior beckons, Won't you study it in prayer? If I were to summarize everything we've come looked at and we've just summarized for 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, I would say this. Again, if you can do anything else, by all means do it. But if not, don't underestimate the battle. Don't underestimate what you're up against. Trust the Lord and not people. But love people anyway. And hold fast to the word of God.